Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. Okay, a brief preamble here to outline a change to the podcast. So first off, I want to express a profound appreciation to everyone who has supported this podcast, my diligent commune team, all of the brilliant teachers and authors, the mission-driven brands who have provided financial support, and most of all, you, the listeners who have helped turn this modest endeavor into a powerful platform for ideas. So in my writings and various exhortations, I have been a vociferous critic of the ad revenue model which has misaligned incentives in journalism. And while Commune's brand partners have always been in alignment with our message of well-being and sustainability, I want to try to produce this show without any advertisement. Quite simply, I just think it's a better experience without ads. So this doesn't change the reality that there are hard costs associated with the production of this show. And moreover, there is significant time expenditure. I am deeply committed to helping build a world in which well-being can flourish, and I have to allocate my time accordingly in pursuit of this mission. I never want anyone's financial wherewithal to stand between them and the ability to glean wisdom from the guests on this show, so this podcast will always remain free to anyone who is interested in listening to it. That being said, if you do have the financial ability to support our efforts, I would be grateful if you headed over to onecommune.com slash support. You can contribute a few bucks or join Commune membership and get unlimited access to all of our courses. Thank you. And truly, it's an honor to do this work. Okay, so on the show today, I speak with House of Representatives member Tim Ryan. Tim is a nine-term congressman from Northeast Ohio representing the 13th Congressional District. He was also a Democratic candidate for the presidency last year. I know Tim initially, and perhaps surprisingly, through the world of meditation. In his book, A Mindful Nation, he describes his discovery of mindfulness meditation through John Kabat-Zinn. He's been on the forefront of bringing meditation to veterans to address post-traumatic stress disorder. He's also led the charge to bring socio-emotional learning into schools to decrease anxiety and increase focus and concentration. The congressman has also been an outspoken supporter of regenerative farming as a technique to sequester carbon and revive agricultural communities. He's the author of The Real Food Revolution. So today on the show, I speak with Tim about how his interest in wellness influences his vision for Ohio and for the future of the country. We talk about the politics of the heartland his early endorsement of Joe Biden, and how we can get America jump-started through bipartisan common sense. You can learn more about Tim at timryanforcongress.com. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tim Ryan. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. Okay, Congressman Tim Ryan, thanks for taking time out of a quite busy time of year uh, 
to be on the podcast. How are you? Doing great, buddy. Always good to be with you. Good. Okay, so before we we jump into uh, the impending election and your vision for Ohio, the 13th Congressional District, the nation, and some of the challenges facing our country, I'd like to just maybe even get some very brief commentary because the last time you were on the show was before you uh, undertook a quite the quite ambitious project of running for president of the United States. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And, that, and given that that experience is, I would say, somewhat rarefied, uh, I wonder if you could just describe what that process was like and the impacts on your personal life and your family life and just give us a little window into what it's like to run for president. Yeah, it's pretty constant. I mean, they're really, you hate to say it, but there isn't much of a family life. You're, you know, you're away from your kids, you're away from your spouse. Um, there's, there's no real downtime. Um, and especially, you know, in this environment, you're the underdog and trying to, you know, you know, try to just claw your way into the race. Um, and it's, it's, it's really overwhelming. It's a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of emotional energy, and, uh, you know, but it's also, you know, exhilarating at some level of just, you know, thinking about how to, you know, break out of a pack of 20 people, you know, is a much different race than I think anybody's ever run in by, by all accounts, because the size of the field and, you know, just trying to figure out how to scrap your way into it and, and trying to be creative and, you know, with so much noise out there. So it was, it was engaging on all levels, you know, mind, body, and spirit. And, uh, but an amazing personal, you know, experience to, to be able to have so much going on, um, in so many different ways and meet so many different people. It's really an amazing experience. Yeah. I, I, I must imagine that one's mindfulness practice must come in handy, uh, at times, <laughs> uh, on the on the trail. Um, on that front, I mean, you've written a couple of books about well-being. One about mindfulness, called a Mindful Nation, which I kept close to my bed for a very long time, and uh, and another about healthy food, called the Real Food Revolution. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how your attitudes and beliefs about wellness inform your overarching vision for the well-being and prosperity of your district in Ohio and I guess I would say just the nation in general? You know, I come at it, as you know, um, through and I, I discovered a lot of the mindfulness practices and, and you know, my interest in, in food as well um, really kind of comes from my background in athletics. Um, and I see both of those as, um, at least as an entry point, as really performance enhancing, you know, really just functioning at a at another level, at a different level, at a deeper level. I don't know quite how to put it, but um, it, it allows you to really tap into your ultimate creativity, your ultimate levels of intelligence that sometimes can get stuffed away because of, because of sickness, because of, you know, lack of, lack of attention and those kind of things and coming it, how it ties together. I think interesting, interestingly for me is that, um, I come from an area where, 
you know, I've spent most of my career talking about how do we get the economy going again in Northeast Ohio, where we lost mm-hmm. steel mills and rubber mills and, and uh, auto plants and trying to like just focus on how do we get the middle class back here. And that comes from innovation that comes from, you know, people really functioning at a level that they can um, create a new economy, whether it's business software or energy or battery storage or electric vehicles, like how do you create a culture where people are really innovative? And that's not going to happen if they're not focused and healthy and really tapping into their own creativity, working well in teams, which means actually giving a shit about what someone else has to say, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and getting, getting, getting out of your, getting out of your ego so that you can have a high performing team. So the, the, the mindfulness piece and the contemplative piece with the, the food piece really feeds into how do we innovate this economy? And it's not just, if I could just say, you know, it's, it's not just the economy. It's also how do we innovate in education? How do we innovate in healthcare? How do we innovate in agriculture? And how are we, you know, coming up with these creative ideas or open to new ideas? It starts with mindset and it starts with your own health and well-being. And if we get that right, then we'll be able to solve these big, huge problems that that seem unsolvable at this point. Yeah. Uh, on the innovation front, I, I thought there was something that you did a couple of years ago that I found actually innovative in and of itself. And it really goes uh, to addressing, I suppose, to some degree, the income inequality chasm um, that is reared its head in this country and around the world. I think at this point, we, I think there's three billionaires that have more collective wealth than the bottom 50% um, of the country combined. Uh, and that doesn't bode well. I, I, and, you know, you, uh, and part of that is, you know, that there is a lack of access to capital uh, in certain parts mm-hmm. of the country. And, you know, I, I know that you teamed up uh, with a group, I think uh, Patrick McKenna was involved and maybe Brett Kaufman um, to stimulate investment in the heartland. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that project because I, I found it so interesting. Oh, so fun. Um, Congressman Ro Khanna and I, um, Roy Bahat, who was with Bloomberg, um, basically Bloomberg's, Michael Bloomberg's fund, uh, venture capital fund. And we kind of were the architects of the whole thing. And then Roy just did a phenomenal job of like making it happen and inviting other venture capitalists. And basically, you know, at the time, 80% of venture capital money was in California, New York, and Massachusetts. And so here we are in Youngstown, Ohio, like you said, I mean, we have ideas, we have people that are hardworking, they're creative, they're trying to solve problems, but they don't have that capital, early stage capital, late stage capital, you know, anything really to get things up and running. And so um, Rokana had taken this on as like, how do we get Silicon Valley out of Silicon Valley? And so we were a natural fit to kind of partner and we got in a bus and we went to Youngstown, Ohio and Akron, Ohio and Flint and Detroit and, and South, uh, South Bend, Indiana. And, you know, we were just trying to highlight some of the activity we have going on, uh, for these venture capitalists. And then we did another one down in South Carolina, North Carolina and Georgia. We did one 
another one in Columbus and Pittsburgh. And so it, it was that idea of how do we, you know, open up the investors' eyes to the possibilities in these other areas so that we can have shared growth, so that we can have good investments in communities that have been, you know, uh, basically abandoned. You know, I, I always say, look, I understand globalization. I understand automation. I understand in the aggregate, this stuff is good. But when you talk about in the aggregate, it also means there's the bottom 50% yeah. in the bottom 20% of the community. So in the aggregate doesn't mean shit to somebody in Youngstown who just lost a $35 an hour job and is now working at Home Depot for 13 and, and, you know, with, with no other options like that doesn't the, in the aggregate doesn't mean anything. And our government has failed to respond to these communities. And so it, part of it is creative ideas like the ones we did with the comeback cities tour. It's also um, about public investments into health and wellness and taking down dilapidated buildings and cleaning our rivers and building river walks and building up our downtowns and promoting the arts and renovating old theaters and like all these things that build community broadband access, both in urban and rural areas, like those are the public investments. And and then if you do that right, you will draw the private investment. If, if we also intend with our tax code, our Department of Commerce, our Department of Labor, have these different incentives and programs to try to steer some of that investment outside and you're and, and also get government jobs out of DC. I mean, there's 300,000 government jobs. You can't tell me we can't find 30,000 of those jobs that can't be sprinkled 500 at a time to Flint, Michigan or Youngstown, Ohio to help them rebuild their tax base. Mm-hmm. So you do all these things. And I think if you, that, that to me, Jeff is the modern view of government, like public private partnerships, innovation, make these public investments, and then through the tax code and other incentives, encourage investment into these other areas. Make sure your workers are trained. Make sure you're doing the research and spread the wealth out a little bit. And, you know, if you got to raise taxes on billionaires, it shouldn't be that big of a leap. I think you have a much better chance of convincing billionaires and people who are investing in the Wall Street and others that here's the plan. This is what we're asking for money for not just we're going to ask you for money and we're going to blow it like here's the plan and it means social and emotional learning in the schools and it means preventative health care and it means centering pregnancy and these other kind of really innovative initiatives around health and wellness so you start to rebuild the families you start to rebuild the schools you start to rebuild the social and emotional skills of our people civic-minded you know more intelligent voters on and on so that to me was the package that came around the Comeback Cities tour to to try to get the the venture capitalists engaged in that process, I think is, is a very exciting one. Yeah, I mean, just hearing you talk about that vision for revitalizing America and the economy and the middle class, it feels just like so much common sense. But, and this, I, I guess, you know, cuts to kind of my kind of lay person's view of Washington. And, and I, I think I represent other folks out there that, you know, all we see is the invective, you know, this kind of vitriolic hatred kind of spewed back and forth from different sides of the aisle. But, you know, when I hear you outline, you know, some of those ideas, I, I can't imagine that there is not consensus around some of this stuff. I mean, from the inside, you... Do you have 
some hope that you can find consensus and work across uh, the aisle with your colleagues to, to accomplish some of this stuff? Or are those days, bucolic days, kind of uh, just a sort of nostalgic remnant of, of the past? Well, it's, I could, I could see why people think that, and, you know, I'm not going to get too political, but it doesn't help when the most powerful person in the government and in the country and in the world is the one going out of his way to divide hmm. and to throw jet fuel on every little cultural riff or fire or economic fire that's, that's uh, a burning or problem that we have that, that does not help at all. But I do think and this would be a goal of a, you know, of a Biden administration would be, how do you pick issues that we can agree on? You know, transportation, infrastructure, broadband, those kind of things should be one. When you look at things like social and emotional learning, and Tim Shriver articulates this better than, better than anybody, it has both the support of the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-leaning think tank, and the Brookings Institution, which is a left-leaning think tank, because they uh, all agree that focusing on the social and emotional skills of a kid uh, will transform their abilities, reduce their stress, allow them to engage their prefrontal cortex. And what you see is 11 percentile point increase in test scores, 10 percent increase in good behavior, 10 percent decrease in bad behavior across uh, the country, across demographics across wealth uh, issues in school districts, agreed by both the left and the right. Let's move on that. Regenerative agriculture, same thing. Mm-hmm. Libertarian farmers, Republican farmers, liberals, we everybody loves regenerative agriculture because it sequesters carbon. Farmers, in fact, regenerative agricultural farmers are the only ones making money right now of all farmers. It's good for the environment. The food's better. And you're rebuilding rural America. Like, okay, so how do we, you know, I think you could just move farm subsidies a little bit to create some incentive for regenerative agriculture farmers, but they start making money within a year or two. So you can actually significantly reduce expenditures on ag subsidies and, and get rid of the pesticides and get rid of the poison. And you don't need as much nitrogen that slows down the river into the dead zones and kills 200 thousand metric tons of fish every year at the mouth of the Mississippi River. Like you can eliminate a lot of these environmental problems with more or less of a free market solution. So those are the kind of like one, two, three. I mean, can you imagine if we did that? We did regenerative agriculture, social emotional learning and um, in, in infrastructure and maybe some of the stuff you talked about with early stage capital. Yeah. I mean, that's that take four years to get all that done. But that could be a hell of a four years and I think would would completely shift the the uh, trajectory of the country in a significant way yeah i mean and certainly i i would say reinstill confidence in government as an american institution and you know strangely you know the president governs as if he is not part of the government on some level um and, and you know i i have great concern around the erosion of confidence in the institutions that have provided stability, you know, sometimes at the expense of, of justice and equity, but still the constant mm. sort of droning of, of, uh, of, you know, obviously fake news undermining journalism or the questioning of science or the constant sort of indictment of the government itself, um, you know, creates a very kind of shaky footing 
for you know these institutions w- which need public trust um and yeah. you know for me if anything you know the, the, this election in many ways hinges on being able to reinstill some level of public trust into these institutions that have really served liberal democracy for for quite a long time um and you know i know that you are running again for for congress and you know when i i was i briefly kind of um visited your republican opponents um website and it is the same kind of tropes and talking points and sort of misuse of uh of the word socialism uh, i'm going to fight socialism <laughs> and the growing influence of socialism um it is which is um uh to me you know disheartening that that that's that that's kind of where we are where you know there is so much misinformation uh, that is creating kind of this public derangement that we can't get to the ideas that you just enumerated. Um, so I, you know, I, I guess you know if there is one or, or or two issues kind of at the very very top um, of the ledger for you in terms of the election that's coming in seven days, you know. What are those? You know, what what concerns you most about um, about democracy, about economic, about the the sort of gutting of the middle class, et cetera? Well, I mean, you know, you, you deal with things on the ground. I mean, I'm concerned about the pandemic. I mean, I'm concerned yeah. about you know what's going to happen in this winter. I mean, you know, you're in California. I'm in Northern Ohio. I mean, it's you know, it's already starting to get cold and, you know, people are already, you know, not going outside. And so that's just going to continue the counties that, you know, a lot of the counties in Ohio are in the red zone now, tipping towards the purple. So, you know, just how do we get this under control? But again, like you hit the nail on the head with the idea of trust. I mean, you, you had the president sowing so much discord and mistrust and distrust um, over masks, over science, over some guy who like, you know, you don't have to be that smart as president to like when you have global pandemic starts to go to the guy at the National Institutes of Health who's been dealing with infectious diseases and pandemics for 40 years of his life and say, hey, bud, what do you think we should do here? (laughs) (laughs) When my car breaks down, I don't like bring it to the beautician or, you know, to the, to the barber, I bring it to the mechanic. Hmm. (laughs) And and so, you know, that, that worries me that, that we're going to have a lot of cleanup to do. And my hope is that a lot of people will come around, you know, if, if a president Biden's like, you know, and who knows, because this is not till end of January, even if he gets elected, wear your mask, do this, do that. How do we handle it? How do we, you know, start writing the ship? Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of optimism out there can be a lot of optimism around the new economy. I mean, we have an electric vehicle company that's, that just went public. That's going to locate in an old general motors facility here in our area. Hmm. We have general motors putting in a battery plant to build, you know, manufacture battery plants. Um, you know, we've got a lot of construction of people doing, doing work. Um, so, you know, we have 
an opportunity, I think, to dominate the new economy if, again, people trust the government to do it. You know, I mean, the same same governmental entity that gave uh, Solyndra that, you know, that the um, a lot of the conservative demagogue because it didn't work out with the with the Solyndra company around uh, renewable energy yeah. is the same. The, the, that program, that same program gave Elon Musk six hundred million dollars. Yeah. So how do we get back to where, look, you take some chances. That's what the government's role is. And it, they're not all going to work out. And it can't be gotcha. It's got to be like, well, you know, we got Elon Musk and we got Tesla, but we also, you know, this one didn't work out and we learned from it and we got to move on. So I think the long and the short of it is we got to shift the culture, you know, and you, you know, you hear people talk about it all the time, the culture, business people, culture, eats strategy for breakfast, I think it is, or <laughs> lunch. Yeah. That's the business thing. Yeah. I think the I think the political policy thing is the same thing. Culture eats policy for lunch. You can have you can have a ten point plan all you want, mm. but if the culture is not supporting that agenda, it doesn't go anywhere. You get what we got. You get Affordable Care Act, and then dismantling of the Affordable Care Act. You get investments into this, and then budget cuts in that. You get taxes raised on the rich, and then you get taxes cut for the rich. You know, you get this back and forth. When you look at post-World War II, you had a culture that was created around the government. There was trust in the government. And, and by 1970, Richard Nixon, Republican president, was signing in the law the Department of uh, or the EPA. Yeah. You know, he was signing in the law community development block grants. He, he had a health care plan that was exactly like the Affordable Care Act because the culture was moving stuff in that direction. 1980, the culture shifted. And so we've been dealing with anti-government disinvestments and pub, you know, erosion of public institutions. The government is bad. That's been going on since 1980, Jeff. Yeah. That's the culture. So the culture has to shift first if we are going to have policies that, that will come out of those, those culture shifts that will actually bring people together, heal, wellness but all the stuff we've been talking about yeah i mean i'm i'm curious in northeast ohio um what the the general feeling is around covid and I'll, I'll just put it in this context because you know as as you so kind of eloquently outlined you know in the 70s and certainly in the 60s you know you had a sense for that uh, of of a belief in the collective good and that mm -hmm. you know certainly and that uh, and uh, and that there was an understanding that one's own self-interest and the collective good were were actually or it could be one in the same thing um and uh and kind of over the last you know 40 50 years you've kind of seen this inexorable march towards kind of individual materialism and um and um and I wonder, and then you kind of see, you know, some countries that have managed the COVID crisis better than others, and they tend to be the the countries that have, um, that have a, you know, more trust, more a sense of the collective good, more sense of kind of personal sacrifice for the whole. Um, I wonder kind of like what is the 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 pulse in 
in your district? I mean, a, a around COVID and, and how, how they see it and kind of the, the personal f- sacrifices that they're willing to make kind of for the community at large. It depends. You know, I mean, it, it has broken down totally along, along political lines, cultural lines. Um, you know, Donald Trump Jr., for example, was in Youngstown yesterday. He had an indoor rally of 400 people and nobody was wearing a mask other than a few of the reporters. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a, it's a badge of honor. Or, you know, you don't want to look weak if you say you want to wear, a, you know, and it's not a few people hanging out at a, at a bar or restaurant or something, you know, like that. It was 400 people jammed into a, a banquet hall. Hmm. Um so that is a tough thing to overcome. Now you get, you know, older people who are afraid to come out and they wear their masks and they come out very rarely to, you know, maybe get some, get some groceries or something, um, pick up their prescription drugs. And so it's, it's not a consistent, I, I think most people recognize that that's pretty irresponsible for the president to be doing a super spreader tour around the country. Um, and, uh, but it's 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 almost right down political lines. You could probably figure out who's voting for who, you know, like yeah. just by whether or not you're wearing a mask. Yeah, it is almost uh, absolutely almost the distillation of absurdity that the almost trivial act of wearing a mask has somehow become a behavior associated with political identity. I mean seems almost absurd. Yeah. Um, so when you, um, when you dropped out of your uh, uh, run, uh, run for president, you were pretty quick and pretty early to endorse Joe Biden. And I will, and if my memory serves me correctly, it was really kind of before he had the momentum that he did. Um, and, oh, God. Yes, it was very much before that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, because, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the pundits were certainly, you know, not not predicting that, that Biden would would res- have such a resurgence. And, and I wonder kind of what did you see in the campaign that uh, that made you go out on a, on a limb there and. Um, and what do you like about the candidacy? And and I assume you know you wouldn't have done it if you didn't think he could win. So, um, so I'm curious, kind of what propelled you to make that decision when you did? Yeah, I just I didn't think that a lot of the conversations that were happening in the primary were conversations that were anywhere close to helping us win the states we needed to win uh, to dislodge Donald Trump. Um, you know, I mean, just, just, you can go down, down the list. I mean, it's, it's, it, a lot of it was very similar to, you know, get helping, forcing people out of their private insurance, like, you know, in, in, in Ohio and Western Pennsylvania and a lot of these states, you know, people like the insurance that they have. Is the system broken? Absolutely. We need a public option. Absolutely. I voted for a public option, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of others, but that, that is a huge issue for a lot of people that would turn them against us. I mean, I think, you know, um, if somebody illegally comes over the border, um, that you're going to give them a parking ticket, you know, I mean, we got to fix the immigration. I'm, I'm, I'm as like, I'm liberal on all these issues, but I'm listening to 
what's happening and what the conversation is. And I'm, I know where I'm from yeah. and I watched what happened with Trump and I'm like, that's not going to fly, you know, and, and that's, that's not going to get us to where we need to be. And so I saw, I didn't, and I didn't think that, you know, I think the democratic party for the most part is a, is a center left party is a moderate party. Like we have to win like we did when we won the house back, you have to win Trump voters over. And, and I know Trump voters pretty well. <laughs> and I, and I just, you know, I thought, you know, um, immediate ban on, on natural gas. Well, we have thousands and thousands of union trades workers in Western PA and Eastern Ohio that are working in natural gas. And like five years ago, everyone was saying how great natural gas was because it was this bridge fuel. It destroyed coal, you know, natural gas dislodged coal, coal mm -hmm. killed it, which is a huge step in the right direction. And so you're going to go tell people who five years ago, they were the heroes for working in natural gas. They, they felt like they were doing something good for the environment and moving in the right direction. And all of a sudden, if the Democratic nominee was going to ban that industry, like they were never going to vote for us right now. Yeah. I mean, Biden's getting a lot of those people. That's why he's winning Pennsylvania. That's why he's neck and neck in, in Ohio, because a lot of those union people are coming back home. And so the point is like, look, you have to understand the the dynamics on the ground. And I felt like Biden did and he does. And it, I don't think in any way, shape or form, it diminishes his goal to go carbon neutral by 2035 or whatever the, you know, the goal is um, reversing climate change. He's talking a lot about regenerative agriculture. Now he's talking a lot about social and emotional learning. He's talking a lot about. Yeah. I mean, we are going in that direction, but you need to win the Senate and you need to win the white house. And so I felt like he was, you know, very pragmatic, which wasn't cool at the time and <laughs> seemed cool at all in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and then, and then, and then, but what's interesting is, you know, you look at the African-American community in South Carolina that went big for Biden, you know, they're not super liberal, you know, there's, it's a Southern state, you know, they're very democratic and, yeah. you know, super liberal on civil rights issues, but you know, they're, they're pretty moderate, you know, they go to church and they're moderate in their, you know, a, a tone and demeanor and, and uh, they Biden resonated with them, and uh, and that was that. So I just think he, and it's it's bearing out. I think you know um, when you look at the polls in in Wisconsin and Michigan, neck and neck in Ohio, and and up decently in um, in Pennsylvania, and uh, can probably pull it off in Florida as well. You know, because you got to do well in northern Florida, which is not like southern Florida. It's more like a southern state in the northern part of Florida. And Biden's holding his own there. Yeah. So we just got to be pragmatic. We all have the same goals. We all want to get to universal coverage and we all want to get to a comprehensive immigration reform. And we all want to get to investments in education and all that. But we've got to be much more pragmatic in, in the, the long haul on how we get there. Because even if you do win, not to go on too much about this, but even if you do get in and it's, um, you know, it's uh, two years. Um, we don't win the Senate. If you say maybe it was Bernie or somebody else, you don't win the Senate. Uh, you can't get anything done. And in two years, it goes back the other way. I think with 
what we want to do with a presidency with Joe Biden is build that coalition that FDR had and make the progress over time that is durable. We still have Medicare. We still have Medicaid. We still have, you know, a collective bargaining. We still have Social Security because we built a durable future and and durable policies. And that's what we got to think about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you worry about any kind of enthusiasm, uh, enthusiasm gap, um, you know, as, you know, Trump has a certainly some kind of touch in riling up his fan base and, you know, certainly in all the images that you see on, on the news, they're packed in, um, often without masks and without social distancing, but with certainly with a lot of vigor, um, do you feel like uh, the Biden campaign has the same enthusiasm? Um, you know what? I think there's a lot of negative enthusiasm within the Democrats. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's if that's a phrase that pollsters use. Yeah. I mean, to get rid of um, to get rid of Trump. Um, you know, so there, our energy is maybe. You know, and maybe it's not a thousand percent for Joe Biden, but it's it's a thousand percent against Donald Trump and hitting the reset button. And so in that regard, you know, we're seeing huge turnouts all over the country with early voting. Those are primarily a vast majority of those are um, are Democrats, even the unaffiliated numbers that are coming out. A lot of those are leaning Democrat uh, as well. Um, I was just on the phone with some union heads of a, of a big union in Ohio and Michigan, and, uh, their union is 67% with, with uh, Biden. They just did a poll and I asked how many of them were with Hillary Clinton. It was like 45%. So that's significant jump among like white working class union members, which is, which is significant. Um, so I, I feel really good. I think, you know, if we get out, we show up, I think we can have a, it can be a biblical tidal wave. And, um, and, and I think Trump, what he's doing now with these events, you know, it's a super spreader tour. I mean, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And, and I think the vast majority of people, um, Republicans, Democrats, independents just look at that and say, that's completely irresponsible, absolutely irresponsible for the president of the United States to do that. And uh, we're hearing that on the ground and we got Republicans coming in and getting Joe Biden signed. So yeah. I think it's working and just let him go out there. And I, you know, it's a shame because people are going to get sick and it's going to cause a spike, but you know, no one can tell this guy what to do. He's above the, above the law, at least in his own mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I looked at the congressional districts in Ohio and I believe that Ohio has 16, representatives in Congress and 13, I believe are Republican. Do, does the democratic party have a future in Ohio? I mean, as you say, the, the polls show a very, very tight race, um, which, uh, I don't think the Democrats have won in Ohio on a presidential, uh, level in, in a number of elections. You know, how are you feeling about the overall mood in Ohio in general, and then I suppose more specifically in your district? I feel good. It's it's 12 to 4 Republican, um, but we have one of our senators is a Democrat, one's a Republican. We have a couple, I think we have three Supreme Court justices are Democrats. So, you know, Obama won here twice and then Trump won. 
So it goes back and forth. But the problem has been literally for the last 30 years, the Republicans have controlled the redistricting process. Hmm. It happens every 10 years. And it seems like they have won the election on the on the year they needed to win in order to draw the lines. And so they have consistently gerrymandered the state to where, you know, you have a purple state, but it's 12-4 Republican um, because of the way they draw the district. So, Hmm. you know, that's, and it just, you know, we got redistricting in two years. It's going to be controlled by the Republicans again. Um, And so, like, literally, we don't have a chance to redo that until, you know, uh, I guess it would be 26, you know, the 2030 election. Geez, are we that old? <laughs> You'll still be in your 50s, though. Um, this is a, yeah, that's true. This is your 10th term that I believe you're running for. I believe you're serving in your ninth term. And it yeah. sounds like, you know, you just have as much vim and vigor for this job as you ever had. Is, is that true? And if so... You know, how, how have you kept that energy up for for so long? You know, I love my community that I represent, and I love the issues I talk about. You know, I mean, I get excited, as screwed up as it may sound, like talking about regenerative agriculture, yeah, talking about social and emotional learning, talking about, you know, literally getting uh, electric vehicle companies in area, you know, in my area, obviously, to create thousands of jobs for people who have been starved for 30 or 40 years from really, really catching a wave of of an industry that's going to, you know, help them and their families. I mean, you know, we're rebuilding our downtowns. We're, you know, we're doing a lot of the things I talked about that we need to do nationally. We've been doing here because I'm on the Appropriations Committee and I'm able to bring back money for for my communities that's exciting you know that's exciting to me and um you know hopefully you know with a biden and a senate we can actually take some of the stuff that we've been able to do here locally and do it nationally you know expand electric vehicles expand charging stations i mean that's trillions of dollars uh, of an industry there with good union construction jobs where people make a living so i get excited about that stuff you know, I've been doing this a long time and um, and I'm starting literally starting to see like it happening, like I've had the vision for a while and just wanted to, which is why I ran for president. I thought, you know, this we're, we've got the game plan here in northeast Ohio. We just don't have the resources. We don't have the national push. We don't have the new deal behind us or Roosevelt behind us. I think with Biden, communities like these are going to have a real advocate. So it uh, keeps your interest, you know, and, uh, you know, like being the, the hot yoga and the mindfulness stuff keeps you, keeps you grounded too and connected to that kind of stuff, which is important. Yeah. It's important now more than ever. I mean, certainly, um, the country has gone through just sort of a, I guess a collective, we've been in a sense of collective fear kind of living in our amygdala. Um, and, uh, and and if anything, um, I hope the results of this uh, upcoming election can in some ways just relieve us from the constant sort of barrage of fear and sort of cortisol-inducing I- vitriol um, because I, I think the country is just tired um, the, the word that I keep hearing 
from everyone is exhausted. We're just exhausted. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and in, in some ways I think we could all benefit from, um, you know, just a time that was more, I guess, I even might use the word boring, but that was, to be honestly, just more constructive um, and could focus on, on ideas in, instead of, you know, certain, you know, political characters. So, um, but I'm, uh, yeah. I know that I, I speak for, uh, you know, the, the, the community that I work with of, around wellness, but, um, but also, you know, your community in expressing our gratitude for your service, uh, for, for real public service, um, for so many years. And, uh, and, you got I, it. and I always, uh, I love conversing with you. I love hearing you when you have more than, than, you know, 60 seconds on a stage or, <laughs> or on a, on a news report, because, uh, every time I do hear you be able to sort of expound, um, more broadly, um, you just make a whole hell of a lot of sense. Um, and, and that's what we need right now is some sense making. <laughs> so thank you for what yeah. you <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. And thanks for all you're doing. And, you know, I love the, uh, the, the community that you built the, uh, you know, the yoga community and it's just, it's spreading everywhere. I just like, cause I, I got to run, but I was in uh, rural South Carolina and I went to this, it was a joint after school program, summer school program. I think it was for, for kids in, in this rural area, you know, every single one of them was African-American and, and I went and was hanging out with the kids and I was, you know, they haven't seen a lot of white people. So they're, they're touching my hair and, <laughs> you know, they're rubbing my face and it was just, it was just cute as could be. And I think one could ask me, do you have to get your hair cut? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, and it was just, it was so enjoyable, but I'm walking out of this and these kids were just so, I don't know. It was just, I thought, man, these, these are like really special kids. I don't know what's going on here, but this is really great. You know, and I'm walking out and I see this woman, I introduce myself, you know, I'm running for president, Tim Ryan, blah, blah, blah. I said, what do you do here? And she says, I'm the mindfulness teacher. Hmm. And I just was like, you know, my my nephew was traveling with me. I was, Jordan, you got to hear this. You know, here we are in, in rural South Carolina. And I've stayed in touch with her. And she's getting, you know, certified in the art of living and doing these Kriya Yoga breathing sessions now with the kids. And I'm like mind-blowing. But I share that with you in the community because um, that's what's happening in the country. Yeah. You know, it's finding its way into every nook and cranny of Americana. And we just got to we got to throw gas on that because that is how you start changing things. And, uh, you know, with the police, with communities of color, you know, in rural areas, that's how you bring about the healing that will lead to the trust and the ability to trust and the ability to change the culture. And then the policies will just flow from there. So love being with you guys. All right, man. Thank you. And, and God bless you. God bless your family. Say hello to them for me. And uh, good luck next Tuesday. I sure will. Thanks, Jeff.
Thank you for listening to my conversation with Congressman Tim Ryan. To learn more about Tim and his policies, go to timryanforcongress.com. And of course, please email me anytime with questions or feedback at jeffk at onecommune.com. And make my mom proud. Leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That's it from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you. Yeah.